Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What is the first brand that you remember having an impact on you as a young girl? Coke. (laughs) Coca Cola. The reason I chose uh, marketing as a uh, as a discipline was because of Coca Cola. I thought that it was just sugar, water, and I mean, in a nice formula, of course. But it the the way that it spoke to what life was or the lifestyle. It's the brand that I remember first falling in love with. Business was because of Coke. Understanding. What was it and how did they make it and who gets to do these jobs was Coca-Cola. You still drink Coke products? I still drink Coke products. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Talisa Yancey, currently the Chief Operating Officer at American Family Insurance. And as of July 2021, will be promoted to lead the direct-to-consumer businesses at American Family, or AmFam for short. Talisa has been at American Family for 12 years and previously served as the CMO of the company. American Family is a diversified casualty property insurance company headquartered in Madison, Wisconsin. AmFam sits about in the middle of the Fortune 500 in terms of revenue, with a bit north of 13,000 employees. My guest, Elisa, is a special one. An eternal optimist, she earned her degree from the University of Illinois and an MBA from Northwestern Kellogg. Talisa began her career with the Ford Motor Company in Detroit and was recently named by Black Enterprise as one of the most powerful women in corporate America. This is my conversation with Talisa Yancey. Talisa, welcome to the CMO Podcast, and congratulations on your very recent promotion, I think just announced a few days ago. Could you tell us about that and actually, more importantly, how the company shared that with you? Sure. Well, first of all, Jim, thank you for having me here. Um, I am honored. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm sitting in front of a guy that I've long admired, long read, and long uh, tried to learn a lot from in the discipline of marketing and, quite frankly, the discipline of business. So honored to be here. And thank you very much. Um, Yes, we just recently announced uh, the the new org structure for our CEO change that is coming up here effective January of next year. So we've started this process we call leadership progression. And um, I will move to a new role. I'm currently the COO of the American Family Agency brand, which is an incredible opportunity. And I've enjoyed every moment of it. And I will be taking on the responsibility of leaving or of leading, excuse me, our direct company. So our, the part of our American Family Enterprise that sell directly to consumers through partners or direct to consumers. It's um, three great companies, three great brands that I'll have the opportunity to work with. So I'm excited about that. 
And how did they tell me about it? Uh, uh, Bill, who is our CEO-elect and a great friend of mine and another guy that I think uh, highly of and love his inquisitive uh, business mind, called and started asking me questions about what did I think about some of these things. And in the course of discussion, he um, shared with me the opportunity and basically told me I would be having a new job effective in July. So we're in the middle of transition right now. Got it. Well, Talisa, thank you for the kind words. It's super to see you again, and we'll get into that in a minute. But, you know, you've been with AmFam for 12 years now, right? Since 2009. And by my count, you have been promoted four times since being there. And I want you to talk about what is the special chemistry you have with this company, with its people, with the kind of business you're in, with clients. So speak a bit. You've done very well there in 12 years. Sure. Thank you very much. Very uh, kind of you to say. I would say if you had asked me 12 years ago when I joined American Family, if I thought I would still be at an insurance company 12 years later, I would have said, eh, probably not. And the reason I would have said that is because I honestly believed I was coming here to help um, build a brand, build a marketing discipline inside of the insurance industry, which was changing rather rapidly back then, and picking up skills from what I would call the consumer packaged goods uh, categories that you come out of and learning what it means to know customers, to cultivate customers, to build engagement, and to use all those things in their ecosystem to get business done or to grow the product and to grow relationships with customers. And today, I sit in the middle of a company that I think has changed rather dramatically, and I just happen to be catching the wave at the very beginning of it. And what's special about my relationship with the company is I did not think that I was joining a fast-paced, ever-changing, customer-driven organization built on top of purpose. But the very first thing I noticed when I joined this company whether they knew it or not, they knew the history, they knew the heritage, they knew they sold insurance, but I instantly knew with fresh eyes from the outside that what we really were, were a purpose-driven company. And that this business of selling insurance and specifically American family insurance through its agency forces, through the the people who work here and to the customers, that it was a company built on top of this ethos that essentially said that we are optimistic about tomorrow. And because of that, we got to protect today. And how you do that is through a great partnership with an insurance company and, and its agency force. And from there, we have diversified how we sell insurance. We've acquired new assets. We've grown remarkably well in the, in the things we've acquired. But more importantly, or just as importantly, in the things that we were built on top of, our agency force has grown in terms of its premium at least a billion dollars since I've been here. I think a billion five um, or more since I've been at the company. So I have found just an enormous love for the people and the talent, the inquisitive nature, the leadership. It is a company where I didn't think I would still be here, but I've enjoyed every moment and it doesn't feel like it's been 12 years. So, Talisa, what was the tipping point when you said, this is the place for me? 
because you obviously have a fabulous career, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. You could go to lots of different places. You have lots of different interests. Was there a moment? Was there a, you know, an awakening of some sort to say this kind of feels right for me? Yes, I actually would say that every single day that you wake up and you get the opportunity to work on something you care for with people you know and respect who will challenge you, who will support you, and who will, more importantly, look out into the world with you and care about the things that matter to you, even if they don't matter to them necessarily. Or you'd begin to discover that people, your leadership, um, Jack Salzweedle, Bill Westray, the people you get to work with, those people who may not look like you, may not have the same experiences as you, because you are in this huddle together, decide that what matters to you or to our customers matters to me. And we are willing to stand side by side to build things together, to fight battles together, to support each other together. That's a daily choice for me because you're right. All of us have lots and lots of different opportunities, but I think it's very rare that you have an opportunity to enjoy what you do with the people that um, can you can have a great time with and also challenge you, can grow and um, continue to create new things together and feel like every day provides a new, fresh opportunity to do more, be more, serve more, uh, contribute more. You are one of the great purpose cases in industry right now. And I can say that because I know you, I know the results, and I've, I've, I've known what the journey you've been on. And I want you to, and my, my opinion is, you're such a great case because your top team is really into it, including yourself. You've been consistent over many years, which many, many brands are not. You activate the purpose really creatively. Your results have been strong, as, as you've just referred to. And you attract really incredible partners to your brand. You know, you, so, you, know, you punch above your weight, as they often say. So it's a fabulous story. And I would just like you, for those in our audience, many of them on the purpose journey, Talisa, can you offer some advice, tips on finding your purpose, on engaging everyone in it, on bringing it to life, on measuring it? And that's a loaded question. We could talk all day about this, but just, you know, a few top line thoughts to, for, to inspire others who are also on the journey that you, you so successfully have been on for many years? Sure, Jim. So first off, and this is not because I'm talking to you, one of the very first things that I did when I was taking the job 12 years ago as um, the leader of, director of advertising brand and media and the, with the charge of we needed to reestablish a brand or establish a brand, one of the first books I read was Grow by, by you. And this pre-me knowing you, I read this book and I felt like in this book, in this category, more than any other, there was some truth and some capacity to unlock our who we really were in the building by actually um, going up a level from what is the product value to what is the company value? What is the value of the entire ecosystem? So I would say I would offer that you got to start somewhere in terms of understanding that purpose is not just touchy-feely. 
It is not just the ethos of how we treat each other in the building, but who who are we as a company in the lives of the people we get to serve every day? And that unlocks this question around why do you go down the path? It's to get beyond a marketing campaign to it becoming the heart and soul of who the company is and unlocking the value of how do you supercharge growth? How do you, um, how do you 2X your industry? How do you grow at a faster pace? How do you create better retention and engagement with your customers? First starts with unlocking the question of why do they choose us over others? And then what is the value that we bring into our, in our customers' lives? And this category being that it's service, insurance is the only business where you sell a promise. People write a check every month, sometimes every six months, sometimes once a year, and they are writing a check for the promise that this company will be there for them in their time of need. And from that uh, very sort of hard equation of how do you build a brand where you don't have any touch points? is you got to go to purpose. You can't go to anything else besides purpose. And then as I started to look around and do the research, and the research said that who we were as a company was not just about the paper and the policies, but it was about the agents. It was about the company, the people, how we show up at our moment of truth. Our moment of truth is when somebody else is having a really bad day on the, um, when we have a moment of truth. That's called a claim. And, and when we rise to, a, to the occasion, we help their bad days to get much better. We give them confidence that they can go on and that they can continue to pursue their dreams. So we found our purpose is essentially to inspire, protect, and restore dreams. And that's what we do. That's what, that's what we believe we do as an insurance company. And then that started as a brand positioning and uh, marketing campaign to some degree. But the way we knew that it was so truthful is everybody grabbed onto it. I will never forget the day that I showed uh, the campaign um, sizzle reel, not even a real commercial, to our agency force at what would have been a big agent meeting where I, we were pre- previewing a number of things, including this campaign. And I was very nervous. I was new to the company. I was from outside the industry. I didn't know much about insurance. Um, other than what I experienced as a person and what had learned in research. research. And when I looked up, um, one of our agents, who will not be mad at me for saying his name, his name is Will Anderson in uh, Minneapolis, he he was crying. He had tears in his eyes. And I was like, is it that bad? And he was like, "Um, this is who we are. And our agents began to call themselves dream protectors. Our Uh, claims teams who perform on the moment of truth all the time, they begin to call themselves um, dream restorers. And we went on from there to sort of uh, build this incredible ethos within the company and to our customers. And then when we launched the campaign, our customers, you know, once again, solidified for us that this was right. We started on day one of launching the repositioning. I sat at home nervously as the advertising director and got a call from our switchboard who had taken a call from a customer, actually from our inbox. And that customer sent us a note to say that um, they were not our customer, but they would consider us because the commercial itself made them pull out a book that they had been writing, working on years ago. 
and get back to living their dreams. And they liked having a, par- a partner. They'd like the opportunity to have a partner who cared enough about their dreams to actually tell them to go go get after it. So turn out wow. pretty good. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. You know, it's it's, it's a beautiful purpose. Um, it's everlasting. It makes sense for your category. It makes sense for your company. You were a director of advertising at that time, soon to become CMO. How did you enlist the top team in this? Because, of course, if the top team doesn't feel it and believe it and act on it, 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 it eventually hits a wall. So how did you, you were new to the company, you know, you were not at the top of the company at that time. So how did you enlist them? How did you engage them? How did you bring them along? One at a time. And I had the great privilege of very early on, I was taking on that role and this campaign at the same time that Jack Salzweedle, who will retire in January, he was taking on the role of being CEO. So he was CEO elect at the moment that we were launching the campaign. And as a advertising director working for the head of marketing at that time, I happened to run across him in the hallway and I said, congratulations to him. And he said, I hope you don't mind, but as the CEO, I'd like to be involved in the advertising. And I said, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I'd like to um, share with you that I actually think you're the chief brand officer of the organization, even though your title is soon to be CEO, because everybody has to believe it from the top down. Otherwise, it's just words and customers are very smart. They see through that. So how we brought everybody along was first, my first customer was Jack, and he was the CEO elect at the time. And I went into his his uh, boardroom up here, right down the hall from where I sit now, and showed him what we had learned in research. And he went and sat in front of customers, which was phenomenal to have your CEO along for the journey to hear what customers were saying about the company from the customer point of view. So he took an incredible interest. And, and then every single time we shared it with someone else, there's a, a picture on my wall over there they signed a manifesto that said that this was important work. And Jack was one of the first signatures and that we were as a company going to redefine this insurance category. It wasn't just about time and price and characters and critters, but about the intrinsic value that we provide to customers' lives. And that process of having everybody sort of sign that piece of paper while we were going through the process and one at a time. And then Jack started bringing people along. So I actually didn't really have to sell it. Everybody that I bought inside, specifically the senior leadership of the company, they learned it first, even before even before some of the people I worked beside, because we were enlisting them one at a time, and they'd go tell somebody and ask to come into my war room, and that we'd share share them what we were learning from the customers because we wanted to keep it under wrap because it was definitely not the direction the whole industry was in at that particular point. So they helped to sell the campaign as well, and then of course, what really solidifies this for everybody is performance. And so when we launched the campaign and begin to see um, good results, that was that solidified this idea that it was not just about this nice um, 
nice to have, but it was core to what we must have if we choose to be a company of a different mindset and ethos in a very competitive industry with millions and billions of dollars being spent to attract customers. We could attract them with less, um, but with more at the same time. And the more being we understand and we get you and we know why we serve, what we what purpose we serve in your you and your family's life. What was the moment that you knew that dreams was the place you needed to be in, inspiring, protecting, and restoring? What what was the light bulb moment there? Was there one? I mean, I'm getting from your story, it was extremely customer-centric. You listened to your customers, you adapt it to be more helpful for them. But this whole area of dreams, which is so rich, how did that come about? You know, um, we've, we fielded some research. We had two areas that we were playing around in, and, and we started off thinking it's the safety net for the American dream. And then we, we transitioned to being, no, it's really about the dream itself. And so listening to the customers, the research was very profound when customers were saying, at that particular time, recall it's 2011, 2012, and the customers were saying, nobody's talking about the American dream. And is it still alive? Is it, um, you know, dead? And who, who do you expect to help be a partner in it? And we, when we asked in a blind survey, which industry insurance came up 43% of the time? When we asked in a unblinded survey and gave them many different insurance companies to choose from, the one that they picked 73% of the time was ours. And that was just sheer luck because of what our founders named the company. We're named American Family Insurance. So it would make sense. Even people who didn't know the brand would say, I would guess that this one would care most about my dreams and my purpose. So we we believe that it that one of the critical shifts though was that the positioning of dreams was about the customer, not about us. We had another campaign that was equally moving, but it was more about the people that serve the insurance industry. So us and our value to the customer. But when we kept thinking about it, we had to put the customer at the center of our ecosystem and that we needed to um, keep them there tightly so that they could see themselves in all of our content. They could see our the role we play in their lives so that it was not just about me and my product, but about them and their dreams and their lives that they're trying to live. You know, it's interesting too, Talisa, so many of your competitors leverage humor so strongly. And not that you don't have a sense of humor and your brand is very optimistic, but, you know, dreams are not, dreams are a lot more relevant to people than laughter. I mean, I love laughter too, but you're playing at a, at a deeper level, I think, than a lot of your competition. And I would say that they're, they're great competitors and, and that I learned from them in the, in the research. And the research was, it's a complex product. So you need to have a way to create some tie to the customer and most people went to laughter. And as I looked at my brand matrix, I wanted to go in the direction of try to level up to people like Dove and like Apple who went toward purpose. So I could connect on laughter, but that takes a lot of money. So a lot of a ton of money that we weren't willing to spend. And we didn't think it was responsible to do so for the sake of our policyholders. We're a mutual company. They own us. So when we started thinking about, well, we do need an emotional connection. This is not a, a rational discussion about insurance. It's um, part rational, part irrational. And how do you connect to it? you got to use something that matters to them. So there's humor in it, but there's heartstrings as well. 
And there is sometimes when you think about dreams, there are things like grit and determination that come forward that eventually you may get to laughter, but they also may get to tears. And it's, I found in my time in serving this brand, um, even with stuff that I didn't create here or that our teams didn't create, but as we continue to build this ethos where everybody owns the brand, it is the stuff that makes people sort of really remember their humanity that actually gets the customer moving and makes them say it's you and it's it, this is who I am and this is why I want you to be my partner. It sounds like such a beautiful story. Uh, is there one challenge you'd like to highlight in this path to your purpose that would help others? I would say the challenge I would highlight is the question that you asked me. So it sounds beautiful, but the time lapse is is a lot different when I'm talking to you now. It is bringing everybody alone along on this notion that the purpose matters. Marketing is business and business is marketing. And not one team, department, or person owns it on their own. At the end of the day, business is a contact sport inside the building and outside the building. We want to connect with our customers, but we also need to orchestrate greatness inside of the organization. And that takes time because you have to bring people along. I came into the company with little insurance knowledge or background, lots of marketing, lots of consumer insight, lots of general management experience. But how do you bring those everybody together so that we all sing off the same song sheet and we all understand that we fight these battles together and that there are, um, um, if you want to have enemies, they are outside of the building because it's not a competition. We all win together. And, and that's not hard, but that's the real work of any leader in business, in my opinion, is to do those things. Do you still call yourself the dreamer in chief? Um, lots of other people call me that, but I think Jack <laughs> thinks he's the dreamer in chief. And I think Bill thinks he's the dreamer in chief. And I am hopeful that all of us think that they are dreamers in chief. I I still call myself um, just a person that is in love with the opportunity to really work on purpose, to be intentional, to not have a gap between who I believe I am as a human being and how I serve people through my work every day. And when you think about this category in this business, there's a lot to be proud of, especially in this last year in the pandemic um, that we've been in. Insurance companies showed up well supporting customers. And I'm happy to say, I'm proud to say we were, we led that, we led the way by focusing in again on our purpose and who we are and what was happening in the lives of our customers um, and how can we help them during this very um, crazy time that we've never seen before in our lives? How can we end up better than we were because we've honored them and looked at their lives and how they were um, making it through these very, this last 18 months or, well, it feels like 18 months. It was only a year though. We're at 15 months now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Talisa, I want to flip a little bit into your career. You you are one of the few CMOs who that went from CMO to a top operating role, and you've been promoted again. So you're very, very senior in this company. What's your advice to others in marketing or other CMOs who aspire to follow in your footsteps to take on a large operating role, you know, perhaps even a CEO role? My advice is to keep learning, 
I think the marketer should be the most curious person in the building. And they should be most curious from the point of the business, from the point of the customer, and from the point of the competitor. Number one. Number two, I think when people see you and your skill set in different chairs than the one that you came in to occupy, embrace that. So I've talked I talk to a lot of marketers who want to who love being marketers, and I do too, but I personally believe that the true mark of a great marketer is to take that wherever else you go. Because in my opinion, I, I I subscribe to the idea that there's two purposes of business and it is to um to market to, to get some customers or to market to customers and to and to make profit and then hopefully make a change or impact in the lives of the people that you serve. So I would say be curious. I would say embrace the data. And this might sound counterintuitive because we spent a lot of time talking about how we bought the brand to life through content. But the most fascinating part of any marketer's job, I think right now, and the part that can help the rest of the organization is the data. How do you embrace the data and how does that data connect through to how do you perform on a day-to-day basis? So how can this discipline uh, become not necessarily the things that you hold tight as this is marketing's domain, but how does marketing take what they do and sort of and spread it into the ethos of the entire organization? At the end of the day, the companies that will succeed in this time and space that we find ourselves in will be companies that embrace customer know-how, embrace data, put the customer at the center of that ecosystem, and they know how to connect the dots between what what we know about customers and what they do to how do we move the business forward. And and you see that across every industry. That's, That's who's winning. And they are innovative. They are curious. They are um, inside-out thinkers versus outside-in thinkers. Um, And sort of all the things that we hear as sort of buzzwords, and I I feel like I'm saying a lot of them now, or buzz phrases, but I think that that is the science of how do you continue to allow marketing to contribute more and more in the organization. Talisa, you, you've just spoken about a lot how your marketing background has prepared you for the work you're doing now. Are there experiences through your career that you wish you had had to better prepare you for what you're doing now? I think if we all look backwards, we'd all take one more computer class than we needed to because I took only one um, in terms of coding. So now my chief technology officer, who is a good friend of mine, Uh, has challenged all of us to sort of learn to code. And I've started doing that during the pandemic. And he just gave me another class I should take. I can't can't satisfy that guy. But um, so I would say really getting deep into the digital ecosystem, I think is important. I would have done more of that, even though I had a decent amount of it um, in my career path. I think always tying what you learn back to the finance part of the house is important because finance is the language of business, um, regardless to where you happen to be in your in your in your company. And I think um, as you think about your whatever industry you're in, I think the capacity to continuously look outside of your industry is a skill set that a lot of people don't embrace because there's so much to learn about the industry you're in. But I find that I learn the most by looking into the adjacent businesses around us. So what is the car business doing? What is the home market doing? What's happening in the consumer markets? All of which will shape how um, people use, buy, and experience insurance. 
What in your career has been the most profound experience you have had, you know, whether it was before AmFam or here, what was for you the, you know, the biggest test? I would say the most profound experience I had happened here at American Family. And I, and I say this, as, and I speak this as a woman and as a woman of color. Although I had served many great leaders in my career, and I have had the privilege of working for, I think, some of the best human beings and best business leaders on the earth, I have had the privilege of working for them. Working at American Family, specifically for Jack Salzweedle, is the first time in my career that someone asked me intentionally to bring my entire self to work. So this is not necessarily about my skill set as a business leader or as a marketer or as a CEO or whatever job I have, but about my capacity as a human being to, to feel comfortable enough to be the best that I could be by actually intentionally bringing all the facets of myself to work. And I think that this is something that women and minorities uh, have battled with across their respective careers. So being challenged by the CEO of the company to think deeper from my personal point of view, not my academic or business point of view. And it wasn't necessarily a challenge to do so, but it was uncomfortable because that is not what you are trained to do as women. It's not what you're trained to do as a woman of color. You are trained to get in, fit in, assimilate, work harder, be smarter. You are rarely told to to be the most authentic you you can be. In fact, you're often told different. Um, And so across my career, I've always sort of struggled with how, where does that line stop? Because nobody wants to bifurcate themselves. And it was uncomfortable for me when I first started getting questions um, from my CEO about really unlocking what does it mean to be a woman in these spaces? What does it mean to be a woman of color in these spaces? And this has happened before it became um, popular to do so. So I'm talking, my son was two at the time. So he's nine now. So seven years ago, we were having these sort of profound discussions around diversity and inclusion and and how do you do that in a company in a manner that serves the greater good for the company but also for the consumer oh it sure does tell us a little bit more about that discussion you had with jack i mean how how did he follow up on that why did he have that discussion with you how were you a different person and leader after that say a bit more about that um so at the time the city of Madison had just received a report. So this is right up a marketer's alley. I was VP of marketing. Had just received a report that the worst place in the country to raise an African-American boy was Dane County, Wisconsin, which is somewhat of a shocker because that means you had to beat out all the counties in Mississippi, Alabama, and part of Florida, you know, to to get that ranking. And he was he was troubled by it as a lifelong um, person who lives and who's from Wisconsin, and he asked me my thoughts, and I thought he was asking me my thoughts as a as a person who understands consumer data. Like, why is this? Why is this a problem here? Why are these numbers so? Because you're you're it's a it's strange because we've got some of the best schools in the country, 
So why do why do people of color have it have trouble here in Dane County, the seat of the capital? You know, it's it's a, it's a profound question. And I was answering that question as a person who understands consumer data. And I went back and we 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 did some additional research and we gave him all those numbers. And then he goes, no, no, no. I want to know from your point of view, what do you think? And that was the first time that anybody had sort of said, no, I want you to bring, you know, bring your personal experience into this room. And I want you to bring it in because if you experience it, then other people who look like you might experience it. And so I, I, and he followed up on it by having this continuous conversation, not just with me, but with others, as you think about, this is where we sit as a company, and this is the state that we reside in, and this is, this is not something that we're comfortable with, even before the whole world was talking about these topics. So it was an inch-by-inch sort of discussion um, to the outside world, but what it really did is it made us very prepared for the world we happen to find ourselves in. I'm not sure um, how we were, I guess, so fortunate to be able to start this discussion around diversity and inclusion and the business value of it um, inside of the organization well before it became the thing that people not only should do, but must do in order to be prepared for where we find ourselves. It's a, it's a incredible story, Talisa. And I want you to continue with it. You have, as a company, I think, taken a very strong stand on issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. You've taken big initiatives. You've come out with a strong point of view. And so many companies are trying to figure out their place in this. All the stuff happening now with voting rights and Georgia and Delta and Coke, et cetera, et cetera. So I'd like you to share a little bit about how you and this top team have the how behind what you're doing. You know, how, how are you making your decisions? How are you deciding where you take a stand? What are you doing to make a difference that obviously is related to your purpose? So could you talk a little bit about the how behind what you're doing? So first off, I would say we are coming full circle back to purpose. So um, these topics of diversity and inclusion, voting rights, corporate citizenship, CEO activism, all of these sort of um, topics all kind of ladder back up to how we started this discussion, which is purpose. And the data suggests that customers, especially younger ones, really expect their corporations to stand for something. And so the real question for us has been, how you make those decisions is you first decide what do you stand for, not what do you stand against, because I think that is fraught with difficulty and not necessarily how you speak up, because I personally believe it has to be very authentic to who you are as a company. And you have to do that. It's, to me, it's the stuff you do when the microphone is not in your face and the cameras are not on that tell the tale of whether or not a company is authentic and genuine about this space. And if you do the work when there is no microphone, when you have a Dreams Foundation and nobody's looking and we are already contributing to these issues of education and equity and health and community welfare before anybody's asking the question and you just add upon that, you have built an, an ecosystem that says these are the things we stand for and we can double down on them 
we can um, be greater, be even more committed to them, but we don't have to have conversation necessarily about what we are against, so to speak. And we, again, had these conversations years back. And so now what we've done in this time is it comes through great leadership from our uh, the folks who run our community, uh, our community foundations, the people who work in our in our Dreams Foundation, the people who work at our um, Institute for Corporate and Social Impact. All of those people sort of are, are marshaled around back to our core purpose and how do we live that out in the communities that we serve? How do we live out this b- belief that tomorrow's got to be better um, than today, so we need to prepare for it for everybody? And then what kind of decisions do we need to um, to to make as we come, uh, as we ladder up to our purpose in these arenas as well. Jaleesa, what's your hope for corporate leadership at large in these days? If you had asked me this question when I was graduating from Kellogg, I would have given you some statement from one of my favorite professors, Messick, about the goal of the corporation is just that we, is that we are to survive, meaning we are to continue into perpetuity by making sure that this this entity survives. I would say that on top of Messick's thought there, which is a very good one, or Bennis's or Drucker's, I would add this new reality. We live in a time where people have lost trust in the institutions that we really expect to set the tone for where we are, who we are, and who we want to be. And the natural inclination over the last 10 years has been the consumer and the citizenry have turned um, away from looking at the institutions we should be looking to, and they've turned the next person in line is the corporation. So my hope for business is that we live out our best um, versions of ourselves, that we add on top of this notion that corporations will continue into perpetuity and they will do good and they will do so with intention and they will make an impact in the lives of their consumer above and beyond the product value because they have considered the environment, they've considered social impact, they've considered diversity and inclusion. And at the end of the day, the world will be better, not just because you chose American Family as your insurance provider, but in choosing that us as your insurance provider, you have simultaneously chosen a better community, a more diverse workforce, um, people who are investing into the communities that we serve, into our local agent, as well as what we do sort of in, in, in larger swaths across the uh, country. Talisa, I want to move into the last segment of this interview, which we call the creative brief. And it's where we seek to just get into mind opening and interesting insights from you as a person. Obviously we've been doing that for the last 40 minutes, but we're just going to do this a little bit more randomly. And the first question I have for you is what is the best part of being married to such an accomplished musician? The best part of being married to such an accomplished musician, my husband, Yancey, is that most people know him as a musician and he's phenomenal at it. So I hear music pretty much anytime I want to in my house. And now I have a junior budding musician in my son, Robert. But um, people who make a career in music are generally, I think, people who also are very in touch with the spiritual side of themselves. So I feel like I live with a guru and a, and a master of some sort, you know. 
And whenever I'm having a hard day and I'm complaining about something, he quickly centers me back on, you know, really, we live pretty good lives. And all we need to do is look at the rainbow outside. And if you don't see it, we can create it in our minds. So I love the fact that he is an eternal optimist and um, really wants at his core to bring joy into other people's lives because I get to have it every day at my house. So it's quite a personal purpose. Yes, indeed. You worked for five years, I think, at the Ford Motor Company after graduate school. What's the most lasting kind of experience from that company that lives forward in you today? I think the automotive industry is um, a great place to learn the whole business cycle. Um, You learn distribution networks. You learn um, customer, definitely, because you got to know enough about a customer in order to build something two years in advance and hope somebody will buy it. Um, I, I, I credit Ford Murder Company with giving me a curiosity about the entire business cycle. And I keep with me some of the best leaders I've known came out of Ford Motor Company um, and the best friends I had came out of Ford Motor Company. And I believe that the American um, automobile industry, I'm bullish on it. And of course, I still drive Ford products because I believe in the people there as much as I believe in the product. Hey, you have met some remarkable high profile people in your career and you continue to. Who has been the most influential for you? The most, and I literally, and I'm not saying this because I work here. I'm going to give you two. My husband and I were just talking and we were talking about who has had the most impact on our lives, our collective lives as a family. And the first person we said was Jack Salzweedle, the CEO of American Family. Outside of the people that I've had the privilege to work for, I would say the person that has had the most profound impact, that's a tough question. On my life, what I would say is Kathy Ireland. Kathy is a brand ambassador for American Family Insurance. And we, the most humble person I've ever had the opportunity to meet, the most profound um, sort of thinker that I didn't expect to find there. I knew she was a, a hardcore business person. I knew that she was a woman of faith. I knew a lot of things about her. But she is the the nicest person I've ever met who is always learning and always challenging herself and her team to go the extra mile. So I would put her in the top of the list. And second to her would be Derek Jeter, who I think is one of the most, um, just the nicest person you ever want to meet and a great business thinker as well. And, And the thing about both those people is people know them as one thing. And when you really understand who they are, they are almost the exact opposite of what uh, they are so much more. And I guess they both give me hope in the human spirit. Who has been the most inspiring person in your life? My grandmother, um, Miss Eva Mae Frazier, uh, who passed away a few years ago, was really inspirational to me. She was, she died at 97 years old. She um, was not allowed. She was born at a time in our country where she was not allowed to go past the eighth grade. And she so loved education, which is probably where I got my love for, for education. She wasn't allowed to go past the eighth grade, but loved school so much that she kept going to school until she her 20s, repeating the eighth grade um, over and over again because she just wanted to learn. And up until the last year or so of her life, we would race her with the calculator and we'd have the calculator and she'd do the math problem in her head. And oftentimes she'd beat us 
Um, when I was a child, she beat us all the time. And and when she got a, a little bit older, um, my nieces and nephews could sometimes beat her, but only because her fingers were getting stiffer. And she was she was the salt of the earth. And she was so amazed at the type of life that her children and then her grandchildren and, and her great-grandchildren were able to live um, just because we chose to to learn, to to embrace education. I think it's the great equalizer, and she taught me that. What's your favorite or most notable ad or marketing campaign you've been part of in your career? It would be the Super Bowl ad that American Family did featuring Russell Wilson. And the reason it's notable is because we had to make a bet that he would be in the Super Bowl, and he was. And um, we chose not to go funny again, but to go inspirational. And it worked for us. And they happened. we happened to have a Super Bowl ad. And the guy who was the winning quarterback was also in our ad. And they won, which was wonderful. So that was great. The other one, if you wouldn't mind, is we did a campaign that we never launched on TV because it was too long and we couldn't figure out what to cut. And it was called Dead Insurance. And that particular campaign allowed us to, um, we won um, lots of awards and it's the most viewed insurance ad ever over 15 seconds because there's some 15 second ads that uh, people have out there. Um, To this day, it's still been viewed more than any other insurance ad. Talisa, what are you listening to these days or watching or reading that's you know, interesting for you, inspiring? Watching, I just got done with Bridgerton and that is my girl stuff in me that I have to watch that. And I have a special relationship with the Duke. Um, reading right now, I am reading, rereading a book by Jim Citron on um, You're in Charge, Now What? For obvious reasons. Um, reading for fun, Cicely Tyson's book um, about uh, her life, which is phenomenal thus far. Uh, listening to, I always am listening to Prince at, at any given moment in time. That's one. And right now they say he's coming out with something new. So I've got to re, re, I got to recatalog all my Prince stuff in my brain so I can see where this stuff fits in. Talisa, who would you like to listen to in the CMO podcast? I would love to listen to, well, I already listened to you. So you're the most important. You've already had Deborah. Uh, wall on, and she is phenomenal. I think I, I I think the have you had the young lady that's at Peloton on yet? Yet we had their former CMO on, but we haven't had the new one. The new CMO sounds really interesting to me. Um, I um I would love to hear more from her, and their brand has an incredible story to tell. Um, I think that'd be inspiring. Talisa, I'll give you the last word. We've known each other for quite some time. Any question for me before we sign off? Um, my only question for you would be, what, what are you reading that's interesting? But more importantly, what are you writing? Because I'm sure you're writing something. That's a good one. I, you know, I, I'm writing, I just writ, wrote a graduate, a commencement speech. I'm getting a doctorate in arts and sciences from my alma mater, which is a division three school in Pennsylvania called Franklin and Marshall. And I, I, you know, I'm very happy with it. 
And, you know, and Talisa, you were uh, in part an inspiration for that commencement speech I just wrote, and I will deliver it virtually in a few weeks. Uh, it's about dreams and why, what prevents us from living out our dreams. And I'm going to talk about my learning on that. And, and I'm also going to talk about self-awareness. You know, you have to live your dream, not someone else's dream. And to live your dream, you have to have some level of self-awareness, which takes some reflection, introspection, and sometimes going against the grain. Beyond that, uh, I have a couple ideas for books. You know, I've just, you're one of so many inspiring people I've talked to over the last two years. I've been doing this podcast once a week, and I think I have to do something with this. It is just so compelling. I'm talking to the most amazing leaders in the world. I'm inspired every week, and I think this is so helpful to synthesize this, analyze it, pull the major lessons and stories out, and help young people with their dream, their confidence, their inspiration, because you and everyone else I've interviewed are so honest, you're so humble, you are, you are so hopeful, and I think I kind of owe that to all of you to bring that out and amplify that even more. So that's that's what I'm that's what I'm germinating right now. And I thank you for doing that because it to me I think what the fuel of hope is to hear other people's dreams and to hear what other people um have overcome and how hopeful they are. And I think that, that this has been a light that we've all needed especially in the last 13 months I think is the right number. Um so thank you for that. Talisa, thank you. It's been so good to catch up and to see you again. Uh, you're such an inspiration. Thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate your time. That was my conversation with Talisa Yancey. There was so much in this one, but the three takeaways to think about for your life and business. First one is, what's it take to be a really, really successful CMO? Talisa's counsel on this, be curious about everything related to your business and customer. Be extremely customer-centric. Understand your purpose and bring it to life across the company and really, really understand the business. I can't argue with that. Those four things, you do those well, you'll be a great CMO. Second takeaway, understand what you are for as a company, not what you are against. And take what you are for and amplify that in all you do and how you make decisions about what you get involved in. Third takeaway, this was a lesson in how a CMO and CEO can have an incredible relationship that takes a company to greatness. Talisa's CEO, Jack, and she clearly have a trusting relationship, a respectful relationship, an open relationship, and they talk often about the toughest things that people talk about. The purpose, performance, issues that the company will take a stand on. This was a benchmark in an outstanding CMO-CEO relationship. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.